2: Today's podcast is sponsored by Mac Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter promo code GOT at checkout. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here today to talk about Season 8, Episode 6, do our spoiler version of the podcast. Regarding the series finale, I don't know what that looks like, but I hear, Aaron, you've got a special segment planned. Yeah. And an upfront piece of feedback that you'd like to get to.
1: Yeah, uh, there's something interesting, because George has come out and made a lot of statements this week uh, regarding... He said, "You know people are asking him what you know what do you think is the books going to be different than the series? Is the series going to be the same as the books? and his answer was, Well, yes and no mm-hmm. and yes and no and and yes and no. like he literally did that eight times yeah um, and he recommitted to having wins done and then dream and then <laughs> oh, he, did he said, yeah." He sent in. Uh, he, he posted something yesterday to his Not A Blog entry, and this was sent to us by Josh F., uh, who says, Gurm has cornered himself by saying he will be done by a specific date. He says that he is visiting New Zealand in the summer of 2020 for Worldcon and the Hugon Awards a year from now. Uh, a direct quote from his blog, As for finishing my book, I fear that New Zealand would distract me entirely too much. Best <laughs> leave me here in Westeros <laughs> for the nonce. But I tell you this... In a way that, you know uh several television shows both of his own properties and other people's several other books would not yeah uh but i tell you this if i don't have the winds of winter in hand when i arrive at new zealand for WorldCon, you have my formal written permission to imprison me in a small cabin (laughs) on white island overlooking the lake of sulfuric acid until i'm done just so long as the acrid fumes do not screw up my old dos word processor i'll be fine Uh, oh my god so let me ask you this in all seriousness because Uh, it's been a minute since this guy has said anything about you know oh I should hope to done by uh, autumn oh I hope I done it's been literally years since he's given any like kind of yearly update like he used to and I think it's because he got tired of getting to the last little bit and having to start over from scratch or rewrite or do the fact that he does this I do think the fact that now that the series is over and, and whatever kind of mental hurdle that was on his back, the fact that he's making a statement that obviously is facetious, but like the fact that he's making a public statement like this and opening himself up to all the criticism that it kind of died down makes me think that maybe this is actually in the hands of an editor. <laughs> like 2020, summer 2020 is, not, is, is a year away. A year and a month away. 13 months away. Oh, poor,
2: poor fan Aaron. He's getting duped yet again. I, Could look, be. Look, I'll believe it when I see it. At this point, yeah. I take nothing he says yeah, yeah, yeah. seriously. It's all with a
1: dump truck full of salt, and I'll believe it when I see it. Because the other thing is I think one of the reasons one of the reasons he stopped giving yearly updates, this is just a theory. Uh, maybe we can talk about the, your guys' feedback on my theory. Um is that I think that he decided to work on Fire and Blood as kind of like a get over the hump. This is the thing I want to write. This is the thing I'm thinking about. This is something that I can get out that doesn't impact anybody's understanding, but it might give me some creative juices. It might give me some ability to test some certain scenarios out, and then I can look even smarter by pulling from this fake history to resolve my books. And I feel like that he... It would take about that long to finish something like Fire and Blood. We know the first volume's done. The second volume's coming out later this year. Once he got that done, and if that did the trick, and he started writing after writing 700-some pages on Fire and Blood, maybe, I I don't know. You're right. I'm probably a sucker. I'm just saying that (laughs) uh, this is the first kind of something new coming out of George. Like, he's a dormant fucking volcano, Mm -hmm. and it's starting to rumble again. Gotcha. So, he's either setting himself up for, like, a... bitter wave of fan backlash the likes the world has never seen next summer or he might actually deliver something we will we will see as they say as we say as you all say so say we all uh to mix our science fiction fantasy metaphors uh so as as jim mentioned uh, anthony and i sat down yesterday and we recorded um you know just under a half hour of uh the the objective is so we've seen the show most people believe that the big picture parts of the show, like Danny turning evil, John having to stop her, the, 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 a lot of these things are probably straight from Martin. So what Anthony and I decided to do is go back and look at all the things that the 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 Double Ds have, have pared away from the series as we've gone in those last three or four years. Put those back on the table and think... How could these same plot points resolve with with the stuff that George has still got and maybe a more satisfying, um, in a more satisfying way? So without further ado, uh, my co-author for Gods of Thrones, Anthony, and I will be discussing that. Uh, hey, before we get to the next segment, I want to talk about stuff going on here at BaldMove.com. Uh, we occasionally do Q&A podcasts when we reach certain milestones in BaldMove history. And right before Game of Thrones season... We hit a big one. We had over five fif- I'm sorry, fifty million podcasts downloaded. Uh, the last time we did one of this was for ten million. Um, so what we do is we invite people to send us questions, uh, QA at baldmove.com and we're gonna do like a video package where and podcast package where we answer them uh there's uh, a link in the show notes to our about page it has previous uh has all the previous podcasts we have recorded on these different subjects if you kind of want to get an idea of how these go or questions that have been asked in the in the past uh but we'll be recording that not next week but the week after uh for release uh in the bald move tv podcast which you can find by searching bald move tv and your favorite podcast app we have been giving full coverage to Chernobyl, the new series about the nuclear disaster on HBO, which is fantastic. Fucking loving that show. Uh, this Friday, we'll also be looking at the new Netflix film, The Perfection. Uh, it's a horror film starring Alison Williams and Logan Browning. Horror slash psycho- psychological thriller. Uh, and the Bald Movies feed, which, again, you can find in your favorite podcast app by searching for Bald Movies. Uh, we wrapped up our Super Serious Film Fest fantasy this week with our final installment on Willow. The 1998 George Lucas slash Ron Howard joint project starring Warwick Davis. You guys know what Willow is. We got a podcast on it, an enhanced podcast, a video podcast in uh, on YouTube.com slash baldmove. And also we reviewed first-run movies, John Wick 3 uh, out last, uh, uh, late last week, as well as we're reviewing Aladdin, the new live-action film coming out tonight. Uh, and finally, Jim and I are messing around with some Game of Thrones game. There's a game called Winter is Coming uh, that we're playing at twitch.tv baldmove immediately after our Tuesday live podcast. And then we're also airing uh, two previously unaired segments of our playthrough of the Telltale game uh, of Game of Thrones. If you're interested in that, you can check that out at twitch.tv slash baldmove. Every Wednesday night, Cess and I play Mario Game too. Check out past broadcasts at twitch.tv baldmove and youtube.com slash baldmove.
0: Aaron, as you may or may not know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but some fans are not as happy with the ending of the show. as I,
1: I've heard half a hundred fans <laughs> All right. unhappy. All right.
0: Well, if you are among these fans and uh, you had wished that Tyrion was a, just a little bit smarter and maybe a little bit drunker or that you wanted Bran to have a l- maybe more personality than garden decor... Uh, then I've got great news for you. There are actually novelizations of this show. There's five of them, and uh, they're they're called A Song of Ice and Fire, and they're not finished. And so possibilities exist, like Schrodinger's Cat. And so you can kind of theorycraft one way or the other, which is really the most important part of being a Game of Thrones fan. So we've written two books that will help you theorycraft Better, more intelligently, or more stupidly, but have a lot more fun doing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Fan bankruptcy's over. It's time to build up those portfolios again. It's it's a bull market out there. For and theories. as long
0: as Martin does not finish these books, you can have whatever ending you want.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right.
0: Okay. So, what's the premise of this particular show?
1: uh Before we talk about the the theories to come, uh, maybe we should give. Claim a little bit of credit for ourselves. Um, do I, so let me ask you this: uh, obviously, you came out strong with the Danny very potential Mad Queen theory. You know, just based on her ruling class proclivities and the way she spoke about herself right. with they destiny. Were really, and
0: there were really two re- main reasons why I sort of went full in on the Mad Queen business. The first is that anyone that is claiming to be a political Apex predator. If you're claiming to be a, a dragon, you are claiming that the rule, the ethics of society, do not apply to you.
1: Right. You're the, the lo- you're the, the common exception. unwashed
0: masses have a different set of ethics, and ruling class people they're just they're just a different breed they're of just people. Just better, and that is uh, that's bourgeois bullshit. Uh huh. Right. It's always been that. Right. So so I've I've always kind of thought okay so. At some point, they're going to play on this with Danny. So right. That w- and then several hints—the several hints that she was sort of leaning in that direction. Yeah, the track the they series. laid for sure. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's both in in the books in in Martin's extended universe mm-hmm. of the books, mm-hmm. um, World of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. but also the show as well. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of what led me to lean in that direction. Right. Um, going forward. I, I know that you were never sort of fully on board with that.
1: No, I didn't see it. But but I think you get a ton of credit for uh, kind of staking at that position early, while it was still unpopular and unproven. Well, and, and you unproven. get credit. Well, d- that's you my get, question.
0: Do I? You absolutely get credit. Okay. Because in, the, in Volume 1, uh-huh. we make it very clear that while there are several forms of democracy... In in both the ancient world and in Westeros and Essos, and yeah. Essos that we were not arguing for a full on like, Athenian democracy. Yeah, like
1: one person, one vote.
0: It was going to be sort of this proto yeah. uh, democracy, whereby the king is chosen and not right. necessarily by
1: some of the people, the wealthiest, most powerful people, the lords Which and is ladies. Exactly
0: what exactly. Right what, what
1: they gave us. right. So it's that's so you I have, have I have hit
0: the nail on the head better actually.
1: yeah, I it 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 didn't come to fruition exactly kind of how I thought it would. and I felt like the show maybe outlined a lot of problems, or may, either by accident or maybe deliberately a lot of the problems with mm-hmm. this kind of approach and how... But yeah, I mean, for the first time, you're going to have people actually deciding. It won't be all the people. right? It'll be very small, like an oligarchy of the people, but, you know, that is better than just some shit king having some shit son or daughter and, and, and trusting in, in that right. solution. You know, the lords are slightly closer to the people than the shit sons or daughters, so... Uh, You got that going for it. So, Pat's on the back all around. Internet points awarded? I
0: think so. I think so. And I think we also get a little bit of credit for featuring Bran very heavily in the final chapter of Volume
1: 2. Yeah. The weirdification. Even
0: even though we did not know, nor did we claim that he would would be sort of the king. We we
1: called it the weirdification of Bran Stark. I wish we called it the the normification, (laughs) legitimization, and, uh, you know... Mainstream acceptance of Bran Stark because that's what we got. No, but he got. was clearly
0: he, he clear, clearly the books were setting him up to be the most powerful player on the on the chessboard. I think. Yeah.
1: No, you're, you're you're. I don't not think wrong. the
0: show fully realized it. So I'm not sure that I'm I, I'm not going to celebrate for Bran in the way in the same way I would celebrate for. One of these other people.
1: Anyway, what are we doing today? Well, so What's I thought thing? here's here's the pitch for the podcast. I thought it'd be fun because I'm not going to pretend like I think George Martin has a radically different plan for for the end of Game of Thrones. I think that the double D's definitely took their own route to get there, but I'm going to take it for granted that like Danny is going to fall to the dark side that. Uh, John is probably going to have to kill her That the others are going to be able to knock down the wall um, We're going to go through All these points where we think These are possibly the broad strokes Of the the, the bullet points The holy bullet points That were handed down on high to the Double D's We're going to then talk about like What are pieces on the chessboard That is the book What yes. are the pieces still on that chessboard In the book that are absent from the TV show Because the Double D's thought they were being economical and didn't quite understand the full mm-hmm. how the stuff was going to work out in the books uh and then we're going to try to synthesize those with the show only inventions that might hint to shortcuts or characters right. being combined plots being combined we're going to try to then come up with theories about like Danny will turn into the Mad Queen, but it's going to go down like this because this, this, and this are going to come together, and it's going to be ultimately more satisfying. So in That's this, what we're trying to do.
0: In this game, the rules are George is pretty well committed to the outline he gave the double Ds. Yeah. So the outcomes of the major characters are, the, are, are pretty close. But we are following the track that George lays in the novels. Yes. And imagining that he will he will follow that in a in a better and more re, and more satisfying way than the double D's did.
1: Yes. All right. So here are the hypothetical germ bullet points that influenced the double D's vision, and these are highly subjective because I'm just taking for granted most of the major beats are bulletins, and they didn't just completely go off script. All right, but. The others knock down the wall Because it does seem like the magical barrier Is the thing in both the novels And the, the, the show They can't cross it unless they knock it down They'll have to f- figure out a way to do that John and Danny will ally For the Battle of the Long Night Ice and fire will have to come together To defeat the others uh, Bran sets up shop in the Winterfell Godswood at some point um, Potentially, plot point B uh, Bran ends up sitting On the Iron Throne uh, the others are defeated at Winterfell. Uh, Euron allies with Cersei in some way. Uh, Danny, that and that's maybe a, a bigger optional because the Greyjoys are doing a lot of different things, which we're going to be talking about in the next segment. Right. Uh, Danny is going to flip out and attack King's Landing in a moment of evil or madness or cold calculation. Uh, Jamie is going to die with Cersei. Uh, and again, I guess the final, like I said, the final bullet point that is kind of the big substantive one is Bran sits on the Iron Throne with potentially John entering in exile for turning about uh, against the And the, maybe the, the North
0: is independent.
1: Maybe the North is independent. Yeah. Uh, although that seems like, uh... That seems like a hand grenade that's had the, the pin pu- pulled and, and thrown right into the floor of all the lords. But uh, maybe we'll discuss that. Maybe we won't. OK, here are some pieces that are still on the germ side of the table that were written out of the show or substantially, substantially altered. Yep. So Euron in the show is a plot device that comes on with a sneer and a leer and a death of a major character that feels unearned. Uh, but in the books, he is a quite terrifying multidisciplinary warlock who has studied at the feet of masters and potentially the three eyed crow himself. And,
0: and is there's, doing... some, there's some indication that he is he's got some sort of connection to this this oceanic god. Yes,
1: yeah, dark st- god
0: that that, it's, uh, that was hitherto unknown by the Ironborn. And that he's he's practicing blood magic across the sea to yeah, curry whi- the favor yeah. of the squid overlord. He's wi- like whipping
1: that. up some kind of dark elder. And thing. there are
0: some people that are suggesting that he's actually is on his way to becoming something like a demigod.
1: Yeah, by tapping
0: yeah. into some sort of divine power.
1: Uh, his brother Victarion Greyjoy is being sent across the narrow sea on a mission to bring. Danny as a queen for Euron to marry. He's also armed with this horn called the Dragon Binder, which Euron has claimed he found in his multidisciplinary warlock travels around the world. And this thing is a uh, has the ability to magically bind dragons to to, to the which the blower's is a problem. W- will because
0: where we're at in the books, Danny can Danny has not figured out how to even command right.
1: She's figured out how to Any climb aboard Drogon and be born yeah. whence he will. But that's about that's yeah. about she, it.
0: She does not have sort of a psychic
1: link. She has not learned how to train her dragons right. yet. <laughs> uh, right. there's, uh, there's, a,
0: there's actually a how to book about this.
1: There is a series of documentaries. Uh, there is a bunch of intrigue going down at the Citadel uh, that appears to involve one Jack and Hagar um, trying to get access to places the Citadel and do research into um some 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 dirty deeds with some of the the Maesters. Um this I have no idea what to do with this particular piece. Um there's also This is
0: somewhat connected to I think to this Euron Right Euron thing because yeah. because they, there's something about in the Citadel they've got either a uh, another dragon egg, uh-huh. or they've got some sort of ancient connection with these squid overlords, right. or whatever.
1: But they got the one archmaester that ha- that gives a damn about magic and and sorcery, kind of engaged with the plot, and he's going right. to go off like Gandalf to do research at the White City and and find out uh, what's what. That's
0: kind of how the 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 end of that's the end of dance, right? Yeah, we're exactly. finding out that there's actually something really important
1: yeah. going on there. Uh, Lady Stoneheart is a piece. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to do with her, but she's definitely a piece in the book that was never on the show. Uh, there's also intriguingly Varys and Illyrio's Aegon subplot, where they claim to have uh, Aegon Targaryen uh, during the sack of winter, or not sack of winter, but the sack of King's Landing. They substituted a Tanner's baby for the real Aegon. That's who Gregor the Mountain smashed up the pieces. So we have a fake Aegon, a phaegon. Well, it's suppose maybe the real fake, maybe the real egg on Targaryen. He's the rightful ruler of Westeros, and he's been over in Essos being trained to be the ideal king by a vario, Varus Illyrio, a vario, a vario alliance. It doesn't
0: matter whether he's real. It matters whether people believe his story. The right. story is the most important thing.
1: Yeah, but there is like stuff that's from some of Danny's prophecies that might imply that he's fake. A lot of people think that he might be a Blackfire Targaryen. Right. Um, anyway, there's that. There's also the Faith Militant. They're still on the board because we haven't had like you know Cersei's wiping them off the map. Yeah, that yet. was
0: one of the things in the show that f- seemed very strange that Cersei could make a strike against the High yeah. Sparrow, and and really after that, the Faith has no. Retribution at all. And we
1: don't really revisit the state of King's Landing ever after that. Like we don't no. know whether are the people still starving? Are the people like, wow, she just eradicated a source of all our faith? Are we cool with that? Are they just terrified? Is this some dystopian police state? Like right.
0: Any really anything that's happening at the Citadel does not matter on the show. So I, I think I think that the I think that Cersei's squaring off against the high sparrow and there will be some consequence. But who who knows? Clearly, that had to, that was cut at some point.
1: Uh, we still have on Danny's side, Sir Berest and Selmy is still alive. One of her advisors, so maybe there won't be such a desperate lack of advisors in the in, in the. In the waning moments of a rule, uh, Howland Reed is still on the board. Maybe there won't be so much exposition relying on Bran, or there'll be a more, you know, like maybe Howland is the one that impulsively reveals the truth about John's parentage rather mm-hmm. than Bran, who's like the sober analysis of, you know. Right. It does seem like now very self serving that Bran revealed that just to maneuver himself onto the Iron Throne. Oh, That's I, some I had some 4D chess right there. I hadn't thought about that. Come on, Sam. Start my intricate plan into motion. Are you just going to sit on this bomb I've given you? Uh, I don't think. I Honestly,
0: Bran, Bran has the personality of a tree. Sure. He has the personality of a tree. I don't know. I mean, I think he's worried about, like, you know... Whether it's going to rain that night. Right. I honestly don't know if he has any aspirations at all.
1: No, that's why it kind of bugged me when he rolls onto scene and is like, why do you think <laughs> I came down here and like the sunglasses came over and like Thug Life started playing? Like, come on. Come on. This is a Howlin' Reed move that then just uh, accidentally puts Brand the Broken on the throne. Uh, also, can we workshop Brand the Broken? Um, all right. Horn, the Horn of Joramun. So this is a plot hey, point. Hey, by the
0: way, in in the second volume yep. of Gods of Thrones, we do a full um, treatment on this myth, Bran the Blessed. Yeah. who Who's this king uh, who has a lot of parallels with Bran. We didn't go so far as to say, well, look, if this is loosely based on Bran the Blessed... Maybe Brand the Broken will be king. We didn't go that far, but right. I, I think
1: I, those parallels are, are even more interesting to me now than they were back then. But, I mean, we get at least partial internet credit for We that. get a little bit, yeah. Uh, so, But the Horn Jorman, that's uh that was kind of like dismissed as maybe Mance Raider propaganda, that there's this ancient horn that perhaps had the power to right, so maybe knock down the wall.
0: Maybe that's how the, the wall comes down in the books.
1: But perhaps that it's yeah. more than just mere propaganda. Perhaps the others get their hand on it, and mm-hmm. they blow with their cold dead lips and the and the wall falls down um we got doran um and the quentin martell subplot in the books that kind of comes to an end but because quentin goes uh goes bernie bernie smoky smokey bye-bye uh doran is very interested in this new fake Aegon. like it seems like it's uh, going to be a natural like maybe doran and stormlands will be united uh, and then perhaps being able to take over to Crownlands. We're going to be talking about that in a minute uh, in a minute. So Stannis to Uh the Battle of Winterfell, the Battle of the Bastards hasn't happened. Uh, we also had just prophecies galore or the Valoncar, which we've talked about ad in, ad nauseum at this point. Danny's three different rides and loves and betrayals and the Mummers dragon and that kind of stuff, uh, which we'll get to here in a bit. Then. Show only inventions. These are things that pro- we think that Martin is not going to actually go with in the show or in, in the books. The Night King. That's something that I think that Martin almost explicitly disavowed when he was brought. He did yeah? I, I thought that it's like that. There, you know, that there. This is the Night King, which is a show only invention. It's a lot. He is explicitly said it wasn't the Night's King, which is this legendary Thirteenth right. Lord Commander and. I think that's one of the strongest statements he said about you know the the books aren't going to be like the show, and he needs, he's kind of stopped commenting on things after that after right. that season.
0: Yeah, yeah, we know so 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 little. We don't we don't even get the backstory about them being invented as a weapon
1: against right. the
0: first, We don't we have zero data right. on
1: this. So it's going to be interesting to see because it's it does feel like one of the lazier shortcuts was to give the white walkers a you know a a thermal exhaust vent that you could send a photon torpedo down and shut the whole thing the whole thing down the fact that these guys have some kind of linear hierarchy and you can kill one of them kill them all i don't know if that's that's a martin plot and it's for for sure so far we know it's a it's a show only uh also, the show postulates that they're going to invent some crazy dragon-killing scorpions that's going to threaten Danny's dragons. I, I I feel like that is a show invention to get around the fact that they don't have horrifying warlocks and dragon-binding horns. Mm. And the the show has always steered as as far from the the more crazy examples of magic and as as they possibly can.
0: Right. So. It it'll be interesting to see how powerful these dragons actually are in the books mm-hmm. because you know, in 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 the war in worlds, you could have a dragon that is powerful enough to actually melt Harrenhal, right? Yeah. So there is precedent for a a dragon doing the kind of thing that Danny does. Uh, but she certainly doesn't have she certainly doesn't have control of these things. Right and so if you know if she were to find her way to Westeros, you know chapter one of the next book mm-hmm. um would she it would not i don't even think the dragons would help her as much yeah as the show would the show is suggesting that the dragons will help right they would they is, would help
1: kind of the way out like three large puppies would help like which
0: is this whole this whole dragon binder bit yeah, becomes important,
1: yeah. Because in the show, she just intuitively learns how to control her dragons, and right. whereas it seems like in the books, it's going to be more of a subplot. Um, also, Danny's fall to the Mad Queen is something that hasn't happened, obviously, in the books yet. Uh, Arya getting a new Valyrian blade, uh, her, her her little dagger, Valyrian steel dagger, and John being able to fly on a dragon. Um, you know, I, I obviously John being Aegon or a Targaryen. Uh, R plus L equals J, that seems, I'm going to take it for granted that that's confirmed. Yeah, that's that's sort of
0: gospel at this point,
1: right? Uh, so let's talk about how we can fit some of these things together. The one that I thought is the most compelling is we had this problem where Danny has to go against Cersei, and it's sort of easy to justify almost any atrocity in the name of getting rid of Cersei. I feel like the Double D's dug real deep and found the one atrocity that trumps, you know, Cersei's partial immolation of the city, the total destruction by firebombing of the city. But they had to really work on that. Um, Imagine a world where the Aegon Targaryen, not the one, the Jon Snow version we know and love, but the Fagon, the fake Aegon from the books. Yeah, uh he comes over and he has started he he's landing the stormlands and he's he's taken he's he's laid siege to several keeps. It seems like there's interest from Dorne into making an alliance, so now he's got the Stormlands and Dorne. He's able to rush the capital, which has already been weakened by poor leadership and the faith militant, and you know, there's there's desperate people of King's Landing and this egg Ag- this person that claims to be the returned Aegon, the rightful king of Westeros overthrows Cersei puts the city to order and starts ruling just baseline competently now you no longer have evil queen versus evil queen you've got pretty good if maybe not quite legitimate or he's maybe not quite a real Targaryen or there might be some quibbles but he's got the capital he's got most of the south of Westeros on his land and now you know Danny gets to Westeros and he's stolen all of her thunder that would legitimately piss her off. And, you know, with the, the Mummers Dragon prophecy in her ears, you could see her doing some pretty extreme stuff that do you wouldn't. Think that
0: they would, do you think the double Ds would cut like cut a a character that actually at some point sets the iron throne?
1: Yes. Yes, I do, because I think they were trying to look and as as soberly as possible, these bullet points that, that George gave gave them. Here's mm. my thing that I actually think happened. They tried to jog in place as long as they can, hoping they'd get wins. And then they would have a clear idea of how those bullet points looked for dream and then George just didn't do it, so they had soft-shoed so much that some of the stuff that maybe they could have adapted better, mm-hmm. they th- were going to streamline it, thinking that there's no way they're going to have time to go into the whole Aegon thing, mm-hmm. and what are the blackfire Targaryens, and wh- how's the Golden Company. Right, Stuff that seems like, with all the kind of, like, Wasted goofy things that they've done in the last few seasons seems kind of naive in hindsight. I, I think that they they committed to that strategy and they just didn't have time to execute anything better. Well, this
0: is one of those incidents where George is sort of gardening himself into <laughs> oblivion. Yeah, and uh, sometimes he'll do this, and a character like what's the, what's the Martell that ends up getting barbecued? Quentin. The- Quentin. Sometimes these sometimes these characters come to naught, mm-hmm. right? And so this I, I don't know. It, it was an interesting Is possible it, plot line that right. doesn't really end. And you and you can totally let the double Ds cut that guy completely out of the narrative because sure. he was he was just a big. He was running in place basically. Right. But guy. the
1: problem is now you've got Mad Queen versus Mad Queen where it's supposed to be like good queen versus good king and he just kind of beat you there. Right. You know, like hey, any other if you'd gotten here 6 months earlier you'd have been hailed as a liberator but now yeah. like and it is also it's it's um it doesn't make John into such an asshole it's like that's the kind of like
0: I think I'll be very surprised if if Fagon actually sits the iron throne i can see him vying for it at some point mm-hmm.
1: or what if he like what if cersei's desperate enough to take a marriage alliance and he wins right. well, so, there so you go. now you've still got cersei on the throne and we know she's a problem but hey look king's landing's fixed we're that would
0: make starting to feed that would be interesting in that because we know that the double d's will actually like to conflate characters yes like take two characters and make them into one yeah 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 And so, in this case, it would make it's still going to be ultimately
1: Cersei's the 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 one that's everyone steps
0: into to the role that Euron was trying to step into, right? Right, that that makes sense.
1: Well, also, I also looks so Tyrion in the books looks like he's going to be Danny's counselor, um, just like he is in the show. But we also know that Tyrion spent a lot of time with Aegon. You know getting to know him mm-hmm. and kind yeah. of giving him advice and one of his advices is like you shouldn't just lay back and do nothing if you if you want to uh you know if, if you want to get your your aunt's attention you should go take take westeros or do something mm-hmm. so like how's this going to look when she goes to westeros and her you know supposed nephew is sitting in her seat and her Royal advisor is the person that set that plot in motion. Right. Like that feels like more legitimate tension between Danny and Tyrion than Tyrion suddenly getting a soft spot for and you the could people really, of King's Landing and his own family.
0: Right, you could really sort of make a lot with the power of Dorne in this case. Yes, if there's an alliance there, because after the War of Five Kings, everyone's depleted, but but Dorne has basically been. They've been playing Australian in the Risk game, right?
1: Right. Suddenly, Alexander Sadiq has something to do. Right. <laughs> you know?
0: Right. So, if you have an alliance there, Danny has sort of a, a bridge, uh, a an almost literal stepstone situation to get right. to Westeros through Dorne.
1: Right. Now, the one thing that I've always had trouble figuring out is kind of the Iron Islanders. Like, clearly you know, when you see the preview chapters of wins, they are going to figure prominently into the end game. Um And in the show, we saw that there's kind of like De- Deus Ex, Yara. Uh, she just shows up and says, hey, I got this fleet. Uh, you're ready to go across the Westeros now. I'm ready to ferry you. Right. Where in the books, this is a long-term plo- plot by Euron to kind of like win Danny and these dragons to his side. He's got his brother over there with the fleet. Like it's it's... It seems like they're going to step in, help her save Marine. Uh, and... Is Danny's
0: is one of Danny's big problems in the books that she doesn't have a fleet? I know that's a big yes. deal in the show, right? Because it almost seems like she has no interest in in the books, right? Of going to Westeros at this point. Hmm. Almost, it, almost as if
1: she. I would like, say she definitely wants to secure Marine, but I think that's what's going to happen. Like you are going to get some flavor of what happened in the show where I she mean, comes eventually back to the she's dragon. She's going to need a fleet. Yeah. And maybe Victorian, if he's got the Dragonbinder and it actually yeah, works and she true. can command the dragon, maybe... Uh, uh, and
0: it's Dragonbinder plus the promise of the Iron Fleet, right? Right.
1: So she all- allies, maybe it's... Uh, but, but that's the thing, is like I don't see where that goes because like does she really marry Euron or does Victorian try to claim her for himself and how the fuck does that even work when you're talking about the Mother of Dragons? And is she going to get over and like, okay, yeah, I'll marry Euron and then, oh, you're a horrifying squid-faced warlock now. You look like Cthulhu. It
0: would not be I, out of Danny's character.
1: Yeah, I just don't see how these people. I, I like look. If you want to tell me that there's some kind of horrifying, like magical warlockery that that kills a dragon instead of like a rapid fire repeating mega crossbow, mm. I'm cool with that. I just don't see exactly like like the Aegon stuff, the Aegon stuff, and Mer- like that feels very Game of Thrones, and I can clearly see that as an upgrade. This, it's just like. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm I'm not an Iron Islander fan. That was kind of Anthony and I's attempts to bang some of these parts together and see what could be amalgamized and what could be sent through the Play-Doh plot factory. Uh, maybe you've got some ideas of you've seen some parts that we missed or some interesting ways you can fit together. Uh, it'd be inter- entertaining to see uh, other people contribute to this project. You can send all that feedback into Game of Thrones at BaldMove com, and who knows, we might read a few of the ones that are entertaining uh next week for the wrap-up spoiler podcast uh anthony thanks for coming by the podcast where uh if a lot of these thoughts are stuff that we cribbed from our books um what uh we, we probably should plug those one final time
0: well they're they're both on amazon also gods of thrones.com where you can get some pretty amazing uh illustrations framed illustrations done by chase stone and uh we tried to have fun with them we think that you'll have fun reading them
1: yeah uh go to com to get the links for all that stuff the merch as well as the uh, uh, paperback and ebook versions of god's of thrones and uh we will we will see you around anthony thanks that was our our ideas on that and i th- unless you have anything you want to talk about jim i think we can get back to feedback
2: yeah let's do it Before we get into feedback, I wanted to talk about our sponsor today, Mac Weldon. They are a men's essential brand with the mission to make sure that all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. Uh, Aaron, I don't know about you, but I got some bad underwear in my closet. Some stuff underwear? Some stuff that is at the bottom of the underwear pile, and if said, I, I get to it, it's time to do laundry.
1: Pile, okay, because I was seeing, like, does Jim hang his underwear up? No. like I, no, I, I, pile I wouldn't the put it po-
2: past you, but damn. Everything else gets hung up. Uh, underwear socks do not. And the worst <laughs> underwear is always at the bottom. It's the stuff that, like, rides up and just doesn't quite sure. fit right. Not uh, your fave. Definitely not my favorite. Mack Weldon, uh, I got a couple of pieces from them. They're actually much better. They, they have a focus and... Uh, on consistency and sizing and fit so a lot of that those problems i have with other underwears riding up uh don't seem to happen with the mac weldon brand uh they make it easy to get it right uh when you're picking out your stuff online by giving you a sizing chart and they always fit perfect on the first try uh they also look really good so i i mean also, you, they're <laughs> I've been there I've when, when have you seen um uh, hmm. Okay, we've got stuff to talk about after this podcast. Well,
1: stop podcasting (laughs) naked from the waist down, except for underwear. I mean, I get it. You're excited about these, but geez.
2: Podcasting is not one of those occasions where I want my underwear to look good. However, there are occasions where you want them to look good, and they are made of premium fabrics, uh, which helps in the look of of them. And the design is very good as well. And I actually got the the ones that they call the Air Knit X uh, material. And they are exactly as advertised. They are light. They are very breathable. They keep you feeling fresh the entire time that you're wearing them. Uh, they also have a version called Silver for, uh, let's say, when you need extra antimicrobial protection. Oh, yeah. Whether you're working out, uh, being active in some other way.
1: Keeps your junk safe from werewolves and vampires, too.
2: It, it, I'm pretty sure it'll do that, yeah. Uh, but they don't smell like garlic, <laughs> unlike those other brands that keep your junk safe from were- werewolves and vampires. <laughs> uh they also have other things aside from just underwear such as shirts and pants and accessories i actually got a pair of lounge pants from them as well that i really really like uh so if you are interested in men's essentials you can go to macweldon.com for 20 percent off your first order and enter promo code got at checkout that's macweldon.com enter promo code got at checkout
1: this podcast is also, as always, sponsored by Bald Move, uh, particularly through the club at club.baldmove.com. Uh, lots of cool features of the club. Number one, they're ad we have ad-free feeds for the podcast. You don't have to listen to me pitch the club ever again. You don't have to listen to Jim talk about his anti-werewolf underwear. Uh, you just get the content that, you, that, that 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 you want with no distracting ads. And it's a great way to support Bald Move in an ad-free model. Uh, we also do live uh, recordings of ev- most of the podcasts that we do. Not all of them, but most of the podcasts we do. For example, this one on the spoiler edition, I don't know when you're hearing it, but we actually record it mid Thursday afternoon because of the movie schedule and whatnot. We usually want to get to release it until like early Friday morning. Well, hey, you can get it almost 24 hours early by being a club member because you can watch it. You can watch us record it. And there's no better way, to, there's no faster way to get a podcast than to watch it recorded live. Not to mention. We got a visit from one of our neighbors. Uh we we, we interact with things. Uh sometimes a tornado alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. Uh all kind like I might fall off my chair and you'll never know because you weren't watching us record it live these features and more can be found at the club at club.baldmove.com you can test drive a lot of these features you can see uh a a lunch with jim and aaron you can you can hear some of our movie reviews you can see some of other special features and you can also try it for 30 days free by signing up at club.baldmove.com fx is adapting james
2: clavell's best-selling novel shogun into a 10-part miniseries this spring Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu.
1: Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works.
2: Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4. With Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and
1: the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app.
2: How you doing, buddy? You... You don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man,
1: do do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out,
2: man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train?
1: That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of
2: left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl? Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, Well, Rick is getting ready, Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission the watching dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever
1: you listen to podcasts. Okay, if you'd like to send feedback, uh, we're going to have at least one more show, the wrap-up. We might have a spoiler wrap-up. Uh, depends on how much interest there is in wrapping up uh, <laughs> uh, but it 's uh, game of thrones at dot com if you want to get that in, and uh, we 'll start Alex F I live in England, and as the show is broadcast at about three in the morning here, one of the hardest things for me to do consistently has been to avoid spoilers on the show and although I've been pretty successful in this last episode or up until this last episode, I was entirely ruined by YouTube. I casually clicked uh, on the front page, and the first recommended video was called "John Kills Daenerys." I didn't watch the video, but the title completely gave it away.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just have to stay off the internet. Period. You there's, do. there's no place you can go. Official, like official channels. Go Here, to like Netflix. Go to
1: Amazon. Like, go to Walmart.com. But. Anywhere else here's where the fans thing, reside or he's going to spoil you. Here's the thing that I haven't seen discussed that happened to me this season, uh, and it didn't actually lead to a spoiling because it was involving a leaked episode that we had already, like, And by the time I saw it, I had already seen the leaked episode, so it didn't spoil me. But my fucking Google Assistant, which is just this thing that essentially tries to learn my reading proclivities and, and bring to me stuff that I think is mm-hmm. interesting, that, that, that it would think it's interesting, started giving me stuff that's the, from this leaked shit and i don't know like (laughs) i don't like i don't want to stop using google assistant and i don't know how to train it for spoilers but holy shit they need to figure out that technology pretty quick or it's going to piss off a lot of people yeah um so i i i have your sim you have my sympathy there alex Um. anyway he continues because this isn't actually what they wanted to talk about When I eventually watched the episode, my knowledge didn't feel like a burden at all. It was fascinating to watch the episode as it moved through the scenes, building up to the actual moment itself. The Nazi Dunsullied were particularly cool, and I thought we saw John's face. And though we saw John's face throughout, we never knew quite what he was thinking. I was fully convinced that John killing her would not happen until the end of the episode. Even when he said, you are my queen, and the music swelled, I never would have guessed that the episode would kill its main antagonist that early in the episode. And so it took me by surprise. But here's where it went wrong. The whole section of the episode after this brilliantly depicted downfall of this new tyrant was boring and played mostly for laughs, such as Edmure's slapstick sword. Why do you think I came all this way was a stupid plot point, and as a musician, I can tell you that the music that accompanied it at the newly major chord that resolved as Bran was speaking was clearly a half-hearted attempt to make the audience forget that none of it made sense, nor was set up. My question then is this, do you think that a Game of Thrones that ended with the death of the Dragon Queen and then finished on an ambiguous plot point would have been more satisfying than the attempt to uh, get a happy ending resolution that we got? If so, what would be the ambiguous ending that you would think would work best if you were writing the episode, assuming all the plot points until Danny's death remained the same?
2: Ooh, ambiguous endings are ballsy. Especially on a
1: plot-driven thing like this.
2: Yeah, I often find that I like uh, some saccharine moments at the end of my series mm-hmm. to kind of reflect on, you know, where we've all been together. Uh, Sopranos was able to get away with it, I think. Um, pulled it off pretty successfully. It pissed a lot of people off in, in yeah. the moment, yeah. It did, but it, it felt so right for that series. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the character of, of Tony is is i feel like the the ambiguity worked there for me but who on this to just end with you know Daenerys being killed would have been or or like if they ended with that scene and they they maybe put a stabbing sound effect in there or something and and went to black and just never came back from it i oh man i think people would have rioted (laughs)
1: Yeah, because there's just a lot... That's not the end of the story. Um, right, there's so like, much more to what wrap up. The, what are the Unsullied going to do? What are the Dothraki going to do? What are the Targaryen... Like, for better or worse, the stuff that came after was an attempt to explain frequently asked questions about what happened next in the world. Mm-hmm. Some of those answers were lazy, some of them were rushed, some of them didn't feel earned, some of them felt entirely antithetical to what we know about this universe, but they were sincere attempts. Like, like, yeah, I don't think you can get away with... Uh, you know, kind of a shrug. Oh, what do you think it's 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 going to mean? Like, if they'd ended even with Drogon melting the Iron Throne, that would have been better than ending like a fade to black with with uh, Jon Snow stabbing her in the heart. It but would have
2: said something about the future of the y-
1: world. Yeah, and and people could have argued what all that meant. I I, I don't know. I, I just think that your instinct is right. That an ambiguous ending. Especially on a season... Because cause nothing's in a vacuum, right? At this point in the season, the average fan, it seems... I don't want to speak to everyone, but the average fan seems like they were not enjoying the ride they were on. You then essentially punt the ending. I think that's just... You add cowardice to all the other charges that you lay before the Double yeah. Ds. So... Um, they would have had to structure things a hell of a lot different in this last two seasons if they wanted to go for an ambiguous, you know, turn to the audience, what do you think, kind of ending.
2: Yeah, because I think the story is about more than just a single character. Uh-huh. So, like, when you when you do an ending like The Sopranos, that is basically just about this one guy, you can kind of leave his fate up in the air and yeah. have fans, like, speculate on it. And I think it works a little better, but... To, you need to kind of wrap up like where does this leave sansa and because yeah. that that scene as an ending would have only kind of clarified where you leave john and daenerys but not even really that right because they've set so much up about john and the throne and does he want it and can he even have it like there are there are just too many unanswered questions at the end of this, I think.
1: Right. And some of this is just expectations that are, I think, fairly set. Like, you know, George has always said, like, this is my response to loving the Lord of the Rings, but wanting to know, like, what actually, you know, if you take out the just, well, Aragorn's a king because he's a good king and he reigns justly. What does that mean? How would he get to the throne? How would he keep the throne? How would he... You know, it's kind of like if we had a podcast where it's like, at the end of this podcast, you're going to be able to build a fully functional nuclear reactor. People are like, holy shit, that's ambitious. That's audacious. Like, that's what George said when he goes, I'm going to tell an improved, modern, adult version of Lord of the Rings. And then at the end of the podcast, what we've actually taught you how to do is to make, uh, like, one of those science fair volcanoes that shoot vinegar and baking soda and make fake lava like people would be like, "What the fuck?" It's it's not so much that this isn't a cool volcano, uh, although I think in, in in this volcano's case there was a lot of there's there's a lot of uh, corners cut in the the planning of it. But it's just like the buildup didn't justify the end result, mm-hmm. you know. And nobody, you know, was forcing these gentlemen to give these interviews, these self congratulatory interviews, and and like in the in the midpoint of the script when everybody's like, "This is fucking amazing!" It's like no one's ever seen. Can't wait till in to, to to continue that. You know, I mean, we see what happened. People are disappointed. Brandon J. Was I the only one that found the entire King's Landing scenes to be jumping back and forth between snow and ash falling? No, you were not. I'll just just get that out of the way up front. I understand Danny's visions in the Warlock's Tower. Her vision was confusing as to whether it was ash or snow. Then she goes outside and there's clearly snow or Drogon, the unbaby, unborn baby, are in the tent. Uh, here's the w- my way of looking at it. The weather and sky. The weather went from blue skies and a warm setting during the fight of King's Landing to overcast, dreary, and apparently stor- snowstorm look. Um, Clothes during the King's Landing award, the Dothraki are at typical cutoffs and vest. In the final episode, they're back to wearing the winter gear of long sleeve furs and hats. Uh, the final scene between Danny and John, if you watch closely, you can see breath coming out of their mouths, indicating cold weather. I understand many shows film in the winter, as did this one, for the look and the lighting. Um, and I particularly know that they extended the time off to film more time during the winter. Uh, Four the ash consistently fell or constantly fell. I get the entire place burnt down and we don't know the properties of Dragonfire but this ash continued to fall the entire episode. I know there are sections of the building still standing above her in the throne room but how much ash is left to fall down? Uh, Here's what I think because it began to snow in King's Landing the final moments of season seven uh, those scenes were shot early in the process where the writers originally expected to have snow covering the ground due to winter. This accounts for a number of the Dothrakian and Unsullied still alive following the Winter... or Winterfell. I think the writers abandoned this idea. Winter-like conditions in King's Landing preceded with the blue skies and warmer weather, but they had already filmed those scenes. Hmm. I... Okay, so there's a lot of people debating whether it was snow, whether it was ash. To me, a lot of the stuff looked like snow in particular the scene I where i think i agree yeah where john is walking up and drogon is just kind of shaking this this piles of snow and or ash or dust or, and rubble off of him that looked very much like snow and you're also right that the environment completely changed and i do think there was a little bit of you know trying to depict king's landing a little bit more austere, austere this year because winter was coming and you know it's not going to be as lush and green as it used to be um but i i think they're going for something more thematic like that danny coming is as bad in some ways as the night king and had Hmm. to be stopped just as assuredly and this is just you know the the remaining chill from winter coming with danny there's also like a, like a nuclear kind of fallout that I think they're going for. Like, if dragons are the nukes of the time, then even if probably literally this wouldn't happen, they're trying to depict like this post-nuclear winter bleakness.
2: Yeah, I like that as the you know thematically, Danny is just bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. that works. But um, you know, I, I, other than that, I mean, there's still a lot of people that are just like insisting that it's all ash, and it's this was all like paying off the division of the, and, and that's fine too, because honestly, I don't, I don't really care to debate the point that strongly. Uh, moving on, Jennifer P. As I contemplated the meaning logistics of Brand being named King while also being the Three Eyed Raven, it occurred to me that they can seemingly live for a very long time. Brendan Rivers was approximately 125 years old when the Night King killed him. Um, he's born in 175 AC or uh, after the conquest, and he died at 302. Could Brand live this long or longer? Will the realm want the same ruler for that ro- long? Yeah, that's
2: why I asked in the main podcast, like, how long do we think Brand's going to live without the Night King being around? Because I don't know how long the other Three
1: Eyed Raven would have lived. Well, it's also kind of like, I mean, that's a complex question because, like, on Star Trek deep space nine you had the symbiotes right mm-hmm. these uh, what were they their the trill. uh, trills um and i wasn't one of the side effects of implantation that the the trills had a little bit more robust health um it could have been but it's 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 because like even if the individual trill lived like okay let's say a trill lives 75 80 years and an implanted trill lives 100 120 the real thing is the symbiote continues to live for hundreds and hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and I think that the three-eyed ravens, certainly in the books, if you if you look at them, like the the Brandon Rivers is not like just an old man. He's literally grown into a tree. There's a tree root growing out of his eye sockets. There's roots impregnating in his body. He's like skeletal um, and like 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 half rotted looking. And then if you go to further into this cave there's like just there's bones littering all over the place implying that there's just generations of these three-eyed ravens that have served this weirwood network and we also know that they all kind of merge into this simul this this the shared consciousness that's how bran has all these this knowledge so it's almost like is the three-eyed raven one hundred twenty-five years? Is he five thousand years old? Like the entity that's known as the Three Eyed Raven? Does it is it like the 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 symbiotes in Star Trek, where like the the host is influenced by the symbiote, and the symbiote's influenced by the host? So each successive host changes it in some important ways. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Um, I think as it relates to the the
2: the king, though, like once Brand's human form is either deteriorated to the point where he's no longer recognizable as a human being or you know he just straight up dies I think that's when they're gonna go and pick their new king right like they're not gonna they're not gonna say oh well this tree thing that's on in the throne room now is still our king right. and you know if somebody else comes up and like merges with it they're the new king they they get to choose their king in the dragon pits right so
1: I don't know, cause like it, you know, i it, it reminds that scenario reminds me a lot of like the Warhammer 40k lore, where you've got this emperor who sat on this throne, this golden throne, and he's literally just a desiccated mummy. But people insist that there's still something about him alive, and he's doing something important for the realm. Um, and like if if Bran would live like a hundred years as a recognizable human being, being able to talk, and then he slowly deteriorated, but there was a few people that said they could hear his thoughts, or they could. They could be the speakers for Bran the Broken or whatever. Like you almost have a religion that forms around it, Mm -hmm. which is essentially like honestly, the religion of the North is kind of like this religion formed around this Children of the Forest weirwood worship, uh, this tree worship. So like, but that 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 goes to the uncomfortable questions about putting Bran on the Iron Throne. Like when you're putting a demigod up there, what the hell does that say? Mm -hmm. Like what if a religion's formed around him? What if it's formed around him against his will? What if he is like what if the weirwood spirit doesn't like what's happening how could they change that like those are super interesting things um that maybe a sequel series could pick up like i would love to see a series set 100 years after uh you know the 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 long night part two just to see what the fuck is going on in westeros how are the starks going like three generations removed from Sansa, how is winterfell looking Mm -hmm. um i'm almost more interested in that than than some of the the prequel stuff honestly but i don't know um i think also george understandably is reticent to let people play in that space because he's not done with it yet sure okay. if he had been done in the books like maybe we could have these sequels or i i, I don't know um matthew a he made the comment that if Bran were to become king of the books, he would perhaps be a more authoritarian ruler, drawing on the parallels in 1984. It made me think of another literary character that would closely parallel if he was both the Three-Eyed Raven and the king, which is the God Emperor of Dune. Whew, heavy on God Emperors this uh, episode. Uh, In Herbert's Dune series, the God Emperor is a result of a thousand-year breeding project. The God Emperor is the son of a noble family like Bran that is transformed into something not human like Bran and rules the million-planet empire. He is, as the God Emperor, all-knowing, including the future, which it seems Bran is as well. He lives and rules for some 5,000 years, which I believe at least one theory suggests was the age of the last Three-Eyed Raven. Uh, No, like we we just talked about it, the last Three-Eyed Raven was... Inhumanly long li- life, but not not to that extent. Unless you want to say the three eyed raven is this long heritage of green seers and children of the forest going back millennia. um uh, This god emperor is also a dictator. His rule is authoritarian, and the entire nece- and entirely necessary to save humanity from an outside threat to everyone's existence. Convenient for all those five thousand years, you just got to go along with the emperor because he's saving you. <laughs> it would be an interesting parallel, especially if Brand was made God King before going to defeat the others. I've always heard on the internet that Gurm borrows from history and literature, and I'm curious if you find Brand's possible parallel, if made king, to the God Emperor of Dune compelling. Uh that's 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 honestly the the main theme of the book Anthony and I wrote that yes, Gurm does borrow <laughs> from history and literature. Um I think in the books if Brand does sit on the throne, there's no fucking way that George Martin doesn't get into the nitty gritty of what all that means. And if it's scary, it's going to seem scary. If it's, it's kind of like I guess um, I feel the same way about pervasive super intelligent artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm I'm excited to see it get here, but I'm also very afraid of it. Um, yeah. And I think that anybody seeing Brand, anyone that knows. The real deal about Bran, him sitting on the Iron Throne, should be something that you are feeling appropriately awe and dread of.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good that could come from an all-knowing being uh, being sitting on the throne, and there's a lot of bad. I mean, you mm-hmm. t- take you have to look no further than some of our dystopian sci-fi movies that that our puny human brains have come up with mm-hmm. to figure that out. Uh, I think we compared it to Minority Report the other day.
1: He's uh, also very, like, a good analogy would be, like, Dr. Manhattan from uh, The okay. Watchmen. Yeah. Like, a guy who's just losing his humanity because how the fuck do I even relate to these primates anymore? Yeah. Um, and I think that is all going to be part and parcel. The, but the thing is, is even with George, how all you can do is hint to those fears because unless you're going to do a 50-year flash forward, you're not going to know whether Brand The Broken sits and rules as this perfectly compassionate ai cyborg or whether he loses all of his humanity and just uh you know turns evil uh those are super interesting questions i I wish the show could have could have even and started to grapple with but but uh
2: well he didn't get to do his five-year flash forward so maybe yeah he'll get to do a 50-year flash forward
1: (laughs) yeah that's true yeah yeah, uh, but then the problem with that is he'll start writing it, and he'll be like, oh, God, I can't figure out how these people... You know what? I need to write a, <laughs> the 50
2: years a series now and then. of
1: 17 books that will explain oh, Christ. how we got there, Uh huh. Um, and they're going to be exclusively for the VR headsets. <laughs> it's going to be an exclusive uh, Sony PlayStation 7 headset deal. Uh, Turner V... I noticed an unlikely connection to one of the fa- former Targaryen kings, Aegon V, the unlikely, uh, better known as Egg, began his reign by in- sending his trusted friend and advisor Brendan Rivers to the Wall. Aegon felt like he was obligated to do this to preserve trust in the crown. Brynden had murdered a Blackfyre, uh, which, of, if, if uh, just, just for the non-book readers, this is a offshoot branch of the Targaryens that was involved in several civil wars uh, previous to the Baratheon period. Um there was a, he murdered a black in the capital. It was there under the promise of protection and truce. Blood Raven sacrificed his honor for the good of the realm. Like John, it was necessary to preserve the peace. I find it there's an interesting parallel here, but honestly, I think they might have accidentally backed into this similarity. Um Yeah, I think it is kind of interesting that Aegon, who is the rightful Targaryen king, sent the three-eyed raven to the wall. Um, well, he wasn't even the Three-Eyed Raven at the time. He became the Three-Eyed Raven. And now you've got the Three-Eyed Raven coming from back from the north to support the the, the the actual Targaryen king, who's also named Aegon. And you can start to see, like, the little shapes of George doing that and paying himself tribute and having the symmetry. Uh, and it's just sketched out in the show. But, but I like what you're laying down here, Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Jim?
2: Yeah, I like it. Nice symmetry.
1: Uh, Richard E., Varus's hypothesis, which Tyrion went with, is that the best ruler would be someone who doesn't want a job. But hasn't this been tried in Westeros not too long ago? Robert Baratheon never wanted to be king. He was so named because all the rebelling lords said he had the best ki- claim. His disinterest continued, and he left the running of the kingdom to his small council, specifically his hand, Jon Arryn, while he pursued his other interests, such as hunting. This was a disaster, as the king's lack of interest allowed the power-hungry like Cersei and Littlefinger to scheme their ways into power. Fast forward eight seasons, and Bran is now king, but he has no interest in ruling. He checks out five minutes into his very first small council meeting to go hunting for Drogon. This leaves a small council, specifically his Han Tyrion, to put the realm back together after this long and costly war. Is this semi-democracy in Westeros doomed before it starts, like the beginning of the Baratheon dynasty? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that not wanting to be king is the only qualification for king. Like, I think Tyr- what what you're supposed to understand, Tyrion, is, like, you take the best candidates for king, and then you make the one that most doesn't want to be king, king.
2: Yeah, uh, there's there's a combination of not wanting to be the king, but also, when appointed the king, will take the responsibility seriously. Right. That's the person you're looking for. Now, you make a strong case that Bran is not that person. Yes. Because Bran, like you said, checks out of the small council meeting and goes Drogon hunting. Uh-huh. uh yeah, but I, I don't know. It's it's tough to judge him based on one small council meeting.
1: But that's wild. This this because I do feel like there's several points in this episode when maybe it's because I know a lot of book knowledge and I've been thinking about like and and, and lines like you know the Richard and uh, Turner have been and have been thinking and the uh, Matthew the the God Emperor guys. Uh, but I just felt like a lot of this episode, and I watched it again in between Tuesday and now. A lot of this stuff with Brand the Builder just seems like it's setting off flashing alarm bells that the the show itself is not aware of hmm. like just the fact that he's like, Oh, I mean, we've talked about it, but the whole Oh, why do you think I'm here like that has a... that was a like almost like a g- like a joke, but it just gives so much of what brand's done in the last two seasons a dark overtone undertone oh yeah overtone mid tone all the tones dark uh-huh. But the show doesn't doesn't get it like it's it's playing hopeful, triumphant music when it should be chilling. Um, I I don't know. Uh, That's just that's just the season we got, man.
2: Uh, Real quick. So I talked about in the the full podcast on Tuesday Mm -hmm. uh, how I was a little disappointed in the, let's say, lesser fulfillment of brands like you will. You won't walk, but you'll fly Uh, that kind of like prophecy, if you want to call it that. Yeah uh having been fulfilled you know seemingly seasons ago um is this some like implied greater fulfillment that he's going to work into drogon to find out where drogon is and this is the brand working into the dragon that we always wanted to see but we don't actually get to see it
1: i mean i'm not going to give them that credit because if if even if i granted it, it just makes me madder Sure, sure. I'm not saying it's it's
2: great or anything. I'm just wondering if that's how I'm supposed to be reading that
1: moment. I just don't, because honestly, like, sometimes I try to be fair and I'm like, put myself in the double D shoes and they're rich dudes and they're over this and they didn't sign up for this and, like, but they still feel like, you know, contractual obligation and some kind of obligation. I don't know, like, in the writing room how backslappy they got because Mm -hmm. if they're, like, really backslappy about, like, oh man, we are just going to knock these fuckers dead and, oh, cherry on top is we're going to imply. That brand's going to warg in the Drogon. That's going to set people like if they just didn't read the room and they were thinking these were Easter eggs or cherries on top, rather than just kind of vaguely insulting bones to be thrown to us spoil, spoiler type people. I, I don't know, and yeah. it's probably not fruitful to to try to get in their minds that much, you know. Uh, All right. <laughs> But, yeah, like, if it's true, I'm almost more pissed than <laughs> if it's not. <laughs> okay. Uh, Aaron C. If Sam is a full-fledged maester, let alone grandmaester, doesn't this imply he dumped Gilly, little Sam, and abandoned his unborn child? Maesters aren't allowed to have family? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean,
2: just left him over at the... Uh... Horn Hill, huh?
1: Yeah, or at the Citadel, I or, don't, or maybe. Or, I, here's the thing: like, Brand's the king; he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Like, that's one thing that ma- the fire and blood make abundantly clear is that the kings can really do whatever they want, and it's just about finding the right people in power to look the other way or to start supporting them. Because, like, the the Targaryens' incest thing was just a massive cultural problem in Westeros, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until they co opted the uh, Faith of the Seven and essentially threatened, bullied, cajoled, and put their own septons in place that started specifically preaching, like, hey, Targaryens are just better than us. And they get to do things. Like, you know, if you're a bull, you can't criticize a lion for eating meat because he's a lion and he's designed to do that. And you're just a bull, so eat your fucking grass or the lion might kill you. Um, yeah, so if Bran's a fucking demigod on the throne. And if he wants his uh, half-brother's cousin's best friend to be his advisor he's just going to make that happen and if he needs to bring his kids to the capital and they need to smooth all that over and it's just a finding that hey it turns out maesters can get married after all it's going to happen
2: so what you're saying is there's still hope for pod the rod there is he can put that thing to use yeah all right cool
1: yeah i mean he's going to father bastard children if nothing (laughs) else for sure for sure with the, uh, there's not a moon tea in the world to, to, to keep his bastards out of Flea Bottom. <laughs> okay, next email, Lindsay B. I find it interesting that Brienne left Sansa, a girl she swore to protect in her main mission for many seasons to go to King's Landing and join the Kingsguard. Wouldn't she stay to serve as Sansa's head guard? Why would she just dis- ditch Sansa for Brienne? What's more appealing to Brienne about serving in the King's Landing than in the North? I haven't heard many comments about this. Most people are happy she was able to finally get recognized as this amazing knight that she is. In my opinion, it would be more in character for her to serve as something similar to the King's Guard for Sansa, Queen's Guard. Her duty and oaths were to Catelyn than to Sansa. Okay. I feel like you're you're putting
2: a life debt on <laughs> Brienne here. Like how much Brienne is a Wookiee
1: confirmed. Yeah.
2: How, how much safer <laughs> under her Phasma uh <laughs> armor she's actually a yeah. Wookiee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much safer can Sansa be?
1: Yeah, like how much more can she protect the daughters of Catelyn Stark? I mean, Brienne's a top five swords w- person in in Westeros, so like, in, unless uh, she's got one, the top four. But you know
2: what's better than the top, uh, one of the top five
1: swordsmen having a hundred, a
2: hundred. Entire- 100- Bottom hundred yeah. swordsmen
1: I like ha, ha, being being in the middle of a kingdom that's never been invaded in the entire history of Westeros by the South. Uh, that's that's full of people that just are ecstatic that they have a fucking Stark back on the throne. It seems like their heads are screwed on straight. One of Ned Stark's own goddamn daughters, like your
2: brother, on the throne in King's Landing.
1: I pity the fool that tries to do something to Sansa. Like they yeah. better have a goddamn dragon. Um, I think Bran has fulfilled her obligation yeah. to the Stark. And, and honestly, like Sansa can discharge her, like like if she's I, I she if could. They, yeah. If they if they chose to show this on the show, I would bet it would go down as like Sansa's like I think you should go. I'm safe. Because here's the other thing: if I'm Brienne, do I want to stay in Winterfell? Where which is the memory of where i got knighted but it's also the memory where i lost a lot of people i cared about in combat and the person i loved most broke my heart and i'm just going to stay there in my quarters that i shared with this man or do i want to go to king's landing which is you know king's guard is the preeminent position for a knight mm-hmm. um you know in this society so I think Brian would want to do that. I think Brian would want to have her there. I think Brian would like, if I'm just getting in her head for a moment, a change in scenery. So this is kind of like if you had a, a job you loved in a city and then your boyfriend broke your heart and you also got a professional advancement and you had the opportunity to move from like Boston to Seattle. I, I think a lot of people would say that the Seattle has a lot of attractive... Attractive uh, qualities to just getting Getting away changing the scenery putting some distance Behind you both metaphorically Temporally and distancely So And then if a Sansa wouldn't let her out if she Asked for that like what like you said because she's Totally safe mm-hmm. she'd be Kind of an asshole so <laughs> I, I didn't think like there's a lot of things I thought Brand got done dirty on but being The first female lord commander In the history of the, the post I, I think is as fitting an end as They could gave her from what they had Okay. Possibly related comment, Haley. I want to double down on some of the sexist complaints and argue that while it might not be an outright sexist episode of television, it certainly feels like it was written by a broy pair of dudes who didn't consider the female perspective. In a show that, as to be recently, fair, as, there's a
2: lot of things I didn't consider. Yes. but yes, that might be one of them.
1: In in a show that, as recently as last season, had pretty much every region led by a powerful, if not also nuanced and multidimensional, interesting woman. The show ended with, save for Arya, every woman's plot determined by a man. The most repulsive display of this is obviously Tyrion pushing Jon to decide da- Daenerys' fate for her. Jon knowing Danny trusts him, wa- then stabbing her in the heart, and her realization of one final and permanent betrayal did resonate with me, but only as the betrayal. It left me angry at Jon, uh, and likely that's because I was never fully sold on Danny's evil turn. The simple hmm. act, uh, fact of this man that she trusts betraying her, takes away not only her autonomy and is indefensible for Jon's honor. Uh, my point, larger point here, is that John could not have killed another man this way. Pretty much, no man could be killed this way, at least that we've seen in years on Thrones. Now, Renly, maybe. I was going to say, well, I, I also think that they had enough good, deep male friendships that I could see, like, like in in, in like I could see Ned Stark doing this to Bobby B, like you know. <laughs> Uh, like i I can't Pulling imagine a situation a like and- coming in for like a bro hug or a clap, and then like using that closeness as a way a physical closeness to betray I could see John and Theon doing that I could see uh uh it's starting to get hard because there aren't a lot of uh, of these type of relationships but i think but but the fact is the double d's never you even if they had these relationships they could have done it I don't think it would ever your your point larger point haley uh I don't think they ever would have considered having that like a like a man using his physical closeness and affection to another man uh to, to, to betray him in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh then we've also seen the most obvious although I will say that there was that male prostitute that betrayed um uh Loris. Yeah. Uh but that was just a just a nakedly kind of a craven betrayal engineered by Littlefinger. So mm-hmm. it's not clearly the same thing. Uh, then we have the most obvious display: the small council scene. There's one w- woman out of six men. Of course, we've seen this on the show before, and we've made, but we've made so much more progress from those points that, it, to me, it was jarring as a woman viewing the show and identifying the female characters to see that there is but one left governing in King's Landing was honestly a draw- jaw drop. I naively expected a gender-balanced small council as Tyrion arranges the chairs, or arranged the chairs. Yes, the show killed all the women and had the survivors narratively doing other things, and this scene was enjoyable, but for God's sake, it ended on the discussion of brothels as a top priority, and the only woman who did, in fact, argue had just closed her chapter by writing positively about the man who betrayed her. Um, I can't find anything wrong with the broad strokes of your criticism here because... The show got a lot of praise last year when we talked about Danny's Council and how it was all kind of underprivileged people. It was a former slave. It was a eunuch. Two eunuchs. It was um, a dwarf. It was three powerful women that kind of led their people in their own right. And that was kind of new and exciting. And and we thought the show thought along with us a a positive development. Um, But then, yeah, when you essentially have very poor representation in the final scene and ends in a joke about a brothel. How? Yeah. How, how do you, it, it's a fair way for a woman to interpret th- those scenes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, it's, it's really hard for me to get myself into that headspace because I don't have the perspective on it. Right. Um. So I I don't want to put up too much of a fight and say, oh, here's counter example, counter examples, But like, I guess, yeah. Me as a viewer, I was not thinking those things, but of mm-hmm. course I wouldn't be, right? I'd probably be the guy in the room yeah. not thinking about how to write these women appropriately,
1: right? It's just like, and, and I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think the double Ds intend to do this. I don't think they're malicious about this. Um, it's just the same. Th- these are the same guys that thought three, four years ago the the thing that they most wanted to do, because the times they live in was tell tell a tale about what if the American South had won the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... The, I mean, it's it's, it's not... It, honestly, if you're a, a white dude, it's not an obvious reason why that is a, a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Double Ds had had a single black person in the room, they probably could have said, like, whoa, that's kind of fucked up, and like, uh, consider what it would feel like to watch that if you were from this perspective, and... Um, I think that's one of the reasons why we need a bunch of different perspectives in writers rooms, Um, because unless you are trying to make entertainment that appeals exclusively for men um, and like the occasional women that can overlook these kind of things, if you're trying to make stuff that's wish fulfillment and empowering for everybody, you have to listen. You have to give these perspectives their due. Um, Yeah. And yeah. It's ahistorical for a woman to be on the small council. Pr- probably, if you want to like go back, uh, but but that's also not even necessarily true because history is replete with nations being led by powerful women in all kinds of terms of antiquity. You know, you're talking about prehistoric, historic. Like it's it, it's it's history is a lot more diverse than I think people often give it credit for. And if you're telling a modern fantasy story, do you want to be slavishly following the conventional view of antiquity? Or do you want to tell something that's a little bit more hopeful and optimistic? Those are all individual choices that creators make, but then people are free to criticize the creators for making them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I can see why you're bummed out, Haley. And uh, I I wish it had been a little bit more balanced myself. Josh F. There is plenty of evidence that there are lands west of Westeros. We're going to have a severe change from the political and the sociological to the geographical. The proto-Ironborn who first settled the Iron Islands were said to be from lands west of Westeros. There are certainly lots of islands in that direction. At the very worst, Arya could run back, uh, would run back uh, into the most eastern part of Essos that no one has ever explored and reported back on unless we believe in the flat planetos theory. And she just falls off the map. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think that world could possibly exist um even with dragons and and magic and all that Hmm. Uh, we also know there's a south oros continent confirmed so it's definitely not just westeros and essos okay fire and blood had this guy this this valerian guy who was like this like he went on these seven voyages of sinbad type of discovery and he sailed as west as anybody ever had and he reported that like after you sailed for like a week or two you started coming across these other islands that Apparently had creatures on them and people. And I feel like that George Martin, and this is just my speculation, it's based on reading The World of Ice and Fire and all the other stuff and the, the stuff he said in the so, so Spake Martin archive. But it seems like that he was setting, like like you're supposed to understand that Westeros is kind of Great Britain, mm-hmm. you know, and Scotland and Wales, And that you've got, uh, you know, Essos is broadly the rest of Europe and and even North Africa. And it would to me, what he's trying to tell the story of is if you sail west, you're eventually going to run into like the West Indies or what we call the Caribbean and the Bahamas, and eventually North America, South America. But they just haven't got that far yet. They being the people from Westeros. I'm I'm not saying that nobody know has you know I'm not saying there's not native people there that know about. I'm not saying that there's people from. Way east of Essos are here. I'm just saying that like in the Westeros and the Citadel, the Maesters, their knowledge doesn't extend to that. So I think that they're not they're hinting at that, that you're arriving at another continent that and and that you're supposed to lay this one to one on our world, which is always that's always been an interesting choice. Uh, Because like it it feels like it leaves a world of ice and fire to like people speculate that this is actually Earth, you know, just like from a way like like a long time ago, we forgotten kind of thing right but george has always said that like that's not what he intended Mm -hmm. i don't know but also you know gives the world it feel a real lived-in feel because it's based on a real world
2: we try to make it super easy to support making podcasts a bald move
1: just join the club but well, some people aren't the joining type, or maybe they're already in the club, but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage or for podcasts that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these and for whatever
2: other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com
1: and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be
2: you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info.
1: You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Oh boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of
2: our premium club podcast feeds completely ad free, but we have lots of other great content
1: exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice and
2: more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds.
1: Plus, you get access to our full spoiler filled first round movie
2: reviews of our newly released films.
1: Uh, Stacey S, in reference to the exclusion of Tyrion from A Song of Ice and Fire, I thought that this was supposed to be a callback to something Varys said. After the Battle of the Blackwater, Varys says to Tyrion, the histories won't mention you. I thought it wasn't meant to be so much about Tyrion's vanity, but one more thing Varys is right about. Did I read too much into it?
2: I mean, that might be the case. It still
1: doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Var- here- Varys said that in a particular context, which was... Tyrion had just heroically acted to kind of save King's Landing and that he bought King's Landing enough time for his father to come in to actually save King's Landing. Hmm. And then he spent the first two weeks of that period in a coma. He wakes up and his, his father and sister have stripped him of all of his power and solidified their own. So at this point in time, Tyrion could have been relegated to a very minor figure. You know, like sure. he was Hand the King, but he was acting Hand for, for, for Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, but post that, when he kills the Hand of the King, when he's suspected of killing the King himself, when he flees to a foreign land, when he joins as to to this other uh, queen's retinue and becomes the Hand of her queen, when he comes back over the Westeros and is the Hand overseeing the invasion. There's just that, that, that those are no longer the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if the double D's were trying to pay off Varys's joke and they didn't understand or this, did make a joke about Varys being right, then they didn't understand Varys and why he was right in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Which I'm open to. Sure. <laughs> sure. I'm open to them not understanding the the, the, the the vagaries of their own history and characters, but um, it doesn't make it more meaningful for me for sure. Manny V. Didn't Jaime and the Lannister army take out he- House Tyrell last season and jack all their gold to pay off the Iron Bank? They even confirmed all the gold got through the gates of King's Landing before Danny Dracarys them big time. Didn't sound like any they left any left for Bronn to be throwing around now. Maybe the small folk are back to work and generating income again, but I doubtful they're anywhere near where they used to be. Um, I think. I mean, what do you think? Because I've got I've got a intuitive answer to that. I don't have any deep lore based answer. Yeah, I don't either. Um, it it sounds right to me
2: though. Uh, I mean, all of that money should now be over with the Iron Bank. Yeah, all that gold. Yeah.
1: I think that's essentially what the scene where where Tyrion says, "I do you consider all debts to to, to Highgarden paid?" Because. If you retcon that as the crown taking out a loan from the High Gardens,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, or not a lo- like a loan that they just took all their money, and that was a loan. Then Bron saying in payment of being Lord of High Garden, I am accepting. He's essentially he's essentially sold out the people of the Reach for his own position of authority and power, which one of the many problematic aspects about making fucking Bron Lord of High Garden and Master of, Co- of Coin. Um, but the pro- the thing is, is the the reach didn't have unlike uh, the Lannisters, they didn't they weren't wealthy by virtue of sitting on piles of gold. They're w- wealthy by virtue of being massive and being the breadbasket for the realm and uh, having great growing conditions for wine and being able to export a lot of like uh, luxury goods and food and stuff like they they were an economic powerhouse so they will continue to generate money it's not like the Lannisters where they ran out of gold in the mines and now they're kind of fucked they have to figure out another way to make the Reach like, is, an, is is kind of like a, a cultural and agricultural powerhouse. So mm-hmm. they will continue to make food and money and start rebuilding their things. And I think that's what now Tyrion's saying. Hey, can we expect similar levels of taxation and tribute in the form of bread and and, and, and conscripts for armies and stuff that we... And, and Bronn's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, gotcha. A little bit of a... Um, I, I, I don't know, a little bit of a... Uh, it's a very simplified kind of political-economic equation, but I think that's what they're trying to get at. Uh, Alejandro C. I was wondering what your guys' take on Danny's Season 7 infertility talk with John. Uh They had them hook up, and then they never mentioned her infertility again? I mean, you just got to read it on its face then, yeah?
2: Yeah. Like, they're just having a conversation, and she says that she can't have children... It's and that's true, and it never comes into the story. Is it kind of like
1: uh, wink, wink, sailor boy? We can the the ports open. Uh, yeah, they could be. have to worry about uh, leaving anything behind. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To me, I think one of the reasons you had the long layoff is because that's when Dan and Dave really committed to some of these things. And like, if I if I want to try, I think season seven might be them. Trying to leave as many doors, as many pieces uh, from Georgia's stuff that they still had on the table that they could play with, and their the the way they ended the thing, you know their their version of the their political uh, interesting ending. So they wanted to have like obviously because there was even one of the now that everything's said and done, like one of the bullet points we talked about at the beginning of this that wasn't true from last season is that Cersei had a miscarriage. They planned on having that in the series. But they changed their mind at the last minute. And it feels like maybe they wanted to keep as much stuff on the table, as much uh, th- things as possible. <laughs> Man, and then, that makes the six episode season extra insulting. Yeah.
2: Because it's like, okay, if you're going to leave open a shitload of possibilities, yeah. you need to have the time. You need to leave yourself the time to close
1: those possibilities down to a singularity at the end. Yeah. And they fucking didn't. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, that's that's kind of generous because I felt like the last two seasons were kind of a package deal. Like, bef- like at the end of season six, HBO said, how much time do you need? To d-? And they're like, oh, it feels like we have 13 hours or, or f- 13 to 15 hours. And I feel like a lot of those decisions were made now, which makes the Danny thing really... I mean, I don't know, because, again, they, they had a year and a half off where they could f- fuck with this. Um, and this is the result that, that, that we got. Um, so i don't know i just know they flip-flopped on whether cersei was pregnant or not kind of sorta and it seems like they flip-flopped on danny's infertility not just flip-flopped on it but it just didn't matter in the mm-hmm. end yeah so but I, I mean man just some of the stuff feels, feels so ham fisted and clumsy that maybe they justified that introduction just so Tyrion could say some things about democratic institutions so it wouldn't come out of left field so like when you you know so when Sam outright suggests it, people laugh. But then the lords are open to okay. Well, let's just reasonable as adults sit here and talk and I don't know. But uh, there's just so many things strange. When I was watching that, like it feels so self con- conscious that like he- here are all the lords and ladies of Westeros. We don't know half of them. Because they've killed the other houses and didn't bother to replace them with anything compelling. So fully half the people sit around this table. It could have been the great John Umber. It could have been uh, Jul- Julian Bes- Dr. Julian Bashir from Dorne. uh <laughs> Why can't I ever remember this guy's Doran uh, Martell? It could have been him sitting there. And like just those recognizable faces being serious and sober would have made it more powerful. But then you've got people like... Uh, davos saying like well fuck i don't even know if i have a vote but fuck it vote and then brand's like yeah fucking vote me and then pod's like oh what well, shit maybe i can y-. like what kind of pro what kind of fucking political processes this was it was led by a condemned prisoner uh-huh. it's just so like when i watched this for the third time i think it was i just was struck by how bizarre and self-conscious it seemed because they're calling attention to how kind of ridiculous some of the scene was mm-hmm. but yet they're also trying to play it straight as if Oh, yeah, Tyrion just mind-fucked these dudes in five minutes into voting against their their realm's best interests. Um, so, yeah, infer- infer- infertility small potatoes. Ian uh, S. While listening to your last episode, you wish there was some explanation of the dragon's intelligence or psychic connection to the writers or Targaryens in general. Interestingly, there seems to be some cut dialogue doing this very thing. In a hilarious outtake that I've linked below... Uh, Kit Harrington is halfway through a take discussing how the dragon seemed to sense where he wanted to go while writing followed by Amelia's starting another line with, well, not quite before Kit uh, slips and eats it. Lots of interesting things to be inferred from this abandoned half explanation. So I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, but there is a, there is a behind the scenes footage of like John and Danny walking after they both did their dragon ride. And just like Ian said, uh john snow was saying something about trying to figure out how there is an intuitive connection and then you know Dana- danny was trying to explain it like well you're not quite but presumably she would go on and explain it and then kit tripped and fell and they ended the take and it was just a funny thing but yes there is at some point in, in the script and they actually shot it some explanation of this shit why the fuck this was cut why the fuck this was cut when we got episodes running in at an hour, an hour 13, an hour 20? Like why when the climax of the series is the fucking dragon just making a political commentary <laughs> right on the real reason his mommy died, like it's I, this is the shit that frustrates the fuck, the piss out of me. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. They only had the one take. We're, we're, we're like, who's, who's fucking filming this? Ed Wood? Like, oh, you know, in real life, John would have uh, fucking slipped and tripped there. And then the editor's like, uh, well, I can't use it, so fuck it. I, I don't. I have, mm-hmm. no, I have no answer for, for you, Ian. But uh, if you guys want to see that for yourself, it'll be in the show notes. Lisa E. I know it seems like the Double D's don't give a damn about trying, tying into the prophecies, but I've been thinking about it and my refamiliarizing myself with Danny's the dragon has three heads prophecy, and here is my attempt. So this is the—we've talked about this a lot this season—the the tripl- the, the triplet of triplets, where there's three fires you, may, you must light, one for life and one for death and one to love. Uh, Lisa says that the life is probably the funeral pyre for Drogon, which gave birth to the dragons— uh, the fire she lights for death is her massacre of the cows. Um, and for love, she says the pyre she, law- she, she lit after the long night, for example, you know, mourning Jorah. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I, although I got to say that for death, it seems like since I don't think that Danny's go- Danny's not fireproof in, in Martin's world, number one. <laughs> I don't think she's going to then magically have flame resistance as a way to defeat the Kalasar. I think she's just going to win them over. So I think the fire she lights for death is probably King's Landing. Hmm. Um, I can
2: just easily see that one being love. Oh, yeah? Uh, it's not a it's not a fulfilled love. It's a... From her perspective. love, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. these people don't
1: love me. I'll never yeah. have the love in Westeros that I had. Right. Goes that I to, wish that I would have to kind of leaning on that woman scorn trope um, to tell the story. Yeah, uh, it's not the best
2: way to go. But but
1: I mean it's it doesn't mean that that won't be a way that they do go. <laughs> sure. Um, three mounts you must ride: one the bed, one the dread, and one the love. To bed is Danny Silver horse that that the uh, Cal Drogo got for her her wedding present. I, that's that's pretty consensus choice. To dread could this be her massacre of King's Landing on Drogon? Uh, and to love is that John? Um, I mean, the Dread one popular t- before this theory was the theory that her actually hopping on Drogon's uh, back to flee the 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 fighting pits of Marine was her going off to Dread because she didn't have full control over Drogon. It was kind of a desperation move. Um, but yeah, like f- emulating a, a city of a million people is pretty dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three treasons you will know: one for blood, one for gold, and one for love. For blood, I see Viserys selling her off in exile, or her days, uh, her exile days in general. Um, I actually think that the blood treason is his, the, the, her kind of sham marriage to his Dars Olorac, which they didn't really do as much in the show, but in the books, it was heavily implied that he was the one bankrolling the sons of the harpies. There's this plot where he tried to get her to eat, to eat this bowl of honeyed locust, and she passes because she doesn't want to eat honeyed bugs, but her uh one of her kingsguard queen kind of proto queensguard um this this strong Bellus guy ate a bunch and he's this big hulking powerful man and he almost died like he was puking up his guts and blood i I think that the blood treason is uh is his dark because he's actually betraying her to reopen the fighting pits and to get the slave empire going again i think that makes a lot more sense uh treason for gold jorah that's that's pretty consensus pick. And then uh, Treason for Love, if it, if it turns out that John betrays her, then absolutely in mm-hmm. the books, that's got to be the treason. Yep. Um, and then she also ties it into the Nisa Nisa prophecy that we talked about in the, the main podcast. So I don't think we need to go into there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that those, broadly speaking, are how that's going to shake out uh, in George's version. Uh, Tosh. I just finished reading A Fire a Fire and Blood, and it made me wonder why the Targaryens are all labeled as mad when it seems that so far most of them, with the exception of perhaps Megor, were pretty sane. Perhaps the madness will come in Volume 2 of Fire and Blood, but so far, in my opinion, the Targaryens come off as entitled, shitty leaders uh, sometimes who are more concerned with succession than they are actually ruling the land. It seems that this theme of crazy Targaryens is played very heavily, especially in these last few episodes of Game of Thrones, but I'm just not seeing it. This whole idea of rolling the dice to see which of them will be sane and which will be mad just isn't supported in Fire and Blood. Also, aside from Magor the Cruel and Aerys the Mad King, and now I guess Danny the Mad Queen, what evidence is that the Targaryens are madder than any of the other batshit crazy families in Westeros? For example, the Boltons. Um, Man, I... So... I think in like uh, this isn't a prehistorical society, but it's a society where probably ninety percent of the people can't read. Like living memory is such an important thing. If I just want to go in universe and try to explain this, because I, I think hmm. you're, you're you're kind of right that that um, there are Targaryens that do something that's like like King Aegon, the good King Aegon, Egg, uh, burnt the majority of the Targaryen house to death trying to bring dragons, like doing some kind of ritual to bring dragons back into the world. That's insane, Mm -hmm. but he was a good king, and everybody liked him, and he just happened to buy into the Targaryen's magical exceptional thing. He did the same thing that Danny did, except for he was wrong, and Danny was right. So, like, he's not really crazy, but if the last Targaryen king in living memory was just such a fucking crazy asshole like Eris and he burned so many noble people to death, and he had plans to burn the whole city down, uh, and these are the legends about him, then I do think that... Regardless of whether it's historically or true or not, that that would be conventional wisdom. It's kind of like, my grandfather would never buy a Japanese car, and was quite angry when his grandkids started to do He eventually got over it, whereas his grandkids didn't, like, why the fuck would we not buy a Japanese car? Um, but, you know, my grandfather's from the generation that had to go to war against Japan, and I was two generations removed from that, so... And I can read books and have access to news information and the internet. And so, like, I just think that if you put yourselves in the the mind of the lords and ladies and small folk of of Westeros, this Mad King shit makes more sense. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but that's how I've retconned it. Glenn, I want to put in my two cents into what I wish the writers would have done for the ending to make it better. A show ends like it does. The credits roll and fade to black. A second or two later, we hear Drogon crooning... (laughs) <laughs> crooning and the 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 camera comes into focus on Keenvara the red woman from marine praying over daenerys's dead body and drogon's in the background observing of course this camera slowly zooms in on danny's face and just like Jon snow's scene from season six his eyes open in shock and he she gasps uh fade to black when with drogon screaming to me this would have been the perfect germ type ending that kind of leaves the story open in a horror movie type trope mm-hmm. uh I think the problem with it is the last four words, horror movie type trope that they've already done. What do you What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I think I'm on board. I I I
2: don't know. <laughs> I, you know, leaving something ambiguous is one thing. Uh, ending with a horror movie type trope
1: is yeah. another. That's that's rough. I I don't know if I would have liked that because the, the thing is, is like you only do that if you're baiting a sequel. Because stories need to end, and also like in the horror movie trope, because I've always long suggested that one of the reasons these things end this way is to leave your audience with, you you want to have that kind of a happy ending where the monster gets beat, but also when they go home, you want them checking underneath their bed and in their closets. Mm -hmm. So you kind of imply that it's not over. You're not really baiting a sequel. It's more of like, hey, one last thing, this thing's still out there. Uh, Game of Thrones isn't doing that. They're not trying to bait a sequel, at least I don't think they are, and they're not trying to leave you with an unsettling thing feeling that Danny and her dragon and her crazy ass could still be out there. So to me, it would just be... Like like you said, it's not an ambiguous ending. It's, it's not an ending. It's saying that this mm-hmm. story is still going on. It hasn't stopped. It's continuing, and, and there's still more to come, and you're never going to get it.
2: Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, in the context of, like, The Wheel... I I don't know that that's like the worst way to end it certainly yeah. um to say that you know nothing has nothing has super changed in this realm it's going to continue to have the political strife that it's had in the past mm-hmm. putting brand on the throne doesn't end uh essentially the human condition <laughs> here right. so I I don't I don't know if it would have been the worst ending but I don't know that it would have satifi- satisfied me either
1: Does that change how you feel about the lord of the light because it does feel like the lord of the light had some kind of active role in defeating the others, and then he didn't care much, be- he or she didn't care much beyond that.
2: Yeah, no, you're right.
1: And if, if Danny is then brought back to life by a red priest, it suddenly calls into question that thesis.
2: Yeah, then you have to think, okay, well, what was the Lord of Light's real purpose here?
1: Or was the Lord of Light and never clearly... a real th- thing, and it's just a force that we don't understand wielded by mortals? Yeah, could be. Um, and I don't know that that's kind of questions you want people to... asking at the conclusion of a tale but Mm -hmm. uh i don't know i'll I'll let the audience decide uh kevin s forget the awful storytelling over danny going mad we never got to find out who the coward was that shit in torment's pants (laughs) damn you double d's leaving these plot threads dangling you're right we had a a shit slinging terrorist Mm -hmm. during a long night of all places at winterfell at the heart of the resistance we need to get to the bottom of this that that should have been reason A for Brienne to stay behind, because cause <laughs> what what happens if someone shits in Sansa's pants? Yeah, I mean the
2: the trouble with it is the the cowardice displayed by shitting in someone's pants is also the same cowardice that leads them to never confess. Yeah, they'll never they'll no matter how pegged you have them, they will never confess to shitting in your pants. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know that we could get to the bottom of that. Uh, no, no, I'm wrong. Brand could get to the bottom of that. Brand can snap his fingers, that's true. Roll his eyes and know exactly who shit in Torment's
1: pants. That's true. Torment, where were you exactly when you were aware that your sh- pants would be shit? And I'm gonna rewind <laughs> right. the VCR tape and I'm going to I'm going to play the CCTV. <laughs> we're gonna get to the bottom of this, buddy. We're gonna get to the bottom of this this pants shitting. I mean, that's Man. essentially the plot for season two of uh, uh, what was that? The Amer- uh, that that goddamn American Vandal. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. It's the cowardly shitter. Hutch asks, "Is there any chance the double Ds learned the fate of the show a few seasons back from George, and they were just as disappointed as the rest of us? They seem like ready to be done with this, as evidenced by the shortened seasons and rushed storylines. They never seemed intended or intent on writing a brand new ending, but only to adapt George's novels. Perhaps they're ready to be done with Game of Thrones because it's not." Not only did George not finish the novels, but they were just as outraged and disappointed with his final bullet points. So they said, fuck it. Let's make the best of the bad situation. Wrap this up as quick as possible and move on. Besides some other book characters left out, I imagine the ending was pretty much the same as what George was intending. I, I don't know. And they're not talking about it. It's my recollection that this meeting they had was well before. Like, like that was like around the time of Dance of Dragons coming out. Uh, that they're like, hey, let us know so we can start. Da da. And so, like, if they were outraged by Danny being an evil queen, I think they would have checked out in season three, or certainly by four. And I still think, like, like a lot of people have difference of agreement. I think there is the first three seasons that are like hundred percent, and then season four is like ninety five percent. And then season five is a pretty steep drop-off from that. Season six kind of recovery. Season seven continues a decline. And then season eight is the is the cult, like, where you're getting now 45% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, So, like, when did they stop giving a fuck? If you're the one of the ones, and I'm kind of like this, like, you know, seasons one through six, you might have your quibbles, but it's still a really damn fine show. Um, I, I think they found out the bullet points way before then, so... Everybody's trying to psychoanalyze these guys. And no. um, I don't know. Because like, I, do, I do think these guys... Somebody's going to talk about this in our lifetime. And it'll be fascinating to see that. Yeah. Like, probably... Honestly, if George finishes these books, I think P- there'll be people coming out and, and talking about it. Because there's no way the D the Double Ds never talk about this thing that put them on the map again.
2: Yeah, I would be super fascinated to hear some insights from people close to the production um i i think the one thing that i am prepared to to state is that they they do seem checked out Mm -hmm. at some point i don't know when it happened i don't know why it happened if it's because they didn't like the bullet points they got and they said we're never going to be able to fucking do this uh and it discouraged them i don't know uh but it seemed clear to me at some point that the writing just took a major downturn Mm -hmm. and never recovered
1: yeah yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it'd be interesting to figure out exactly why that happened. Because when I, cause I spend some time thinking about this. How can you not? And I just come back to, like, when did they turn against Game of Thrones? Was it just, like, the grind? Like, it's not even they lost their love for the material. It's just that, like, Jesus Christ, yeah. we've been doing nothing with Game of Thrones for six years. We're sick of it. Oh, you want us to do th- four more seasons? Fuck you. You want us to do three more episodes? Fuck you. And that sucks to hear as a fan, but it's entirely understandable from a human perspective. And, like it's almost like they're doing this job and the guy that gave them the assignment is just fucked off for years and years. And it's like, well, if he's not going to do it, then why? Like there's, again, I think it's inexcusable. It's unprofessional and it's, it's uh terrible behavior to do to, to treat your fans like that. But like, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, I understand where they're coming from.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, uh, Jenna W, this is our last feedback for this episode. Since season eight did nothing for me, and I'm longing for the Game of Thrones goodness that once was, I've decided to reread the books. I know you guys were talking about maybe catching Jim up so he would be able to take part in the Winds of Winter podcast whenever that would be. But have you guys thought of doing a Song of Ice and Fire book club podcast like you did with Fire and Blood? I'd love to relive the series with some amazing like-minded individuals such as yourselves. And I'm sure since the show was so unsatisfying, many others are yearning for the same kind of experience. Um. I want to walk back, because I don't think you've ever committed to, or even <laughs> said that you would be interested in reading A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh,
2: No, I think that ship has sailed for me. Um, it, it's weird, because I, I am reading, like, the Expanse books, mm-hmm. and they are of similar length, I'd say, mm-hmm. to some of the, the Martin books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's material that I'm inherently more interested in. It's sci-fi instead of fantasy, uh, and I just like at, at this point, I'm I'm never going to get as much out of the books as people who've been reading and rereading and rereading these books for the last twenty years have gotten out of them. I don't know that I can do justice to a book, uh, a book club kind of thing. I think there are a lot of other people out there doing that much better than I ever could. So I, I just I just don't see like what i look i know <laughs> like experiencing this with the you know the, your friends jim and aaron mm-hmm. is is would be a very cool thing for a lot of people i get it but we do so much other stuff here mm-hmm. that it's like are we really going to go into this book thing is that what people want from us we have a largely tv-based audience mm-hmm. it's there, there are just so many factors in here that i look at and go
1: uh, i don't i don't know and i think just from a business perspective i don't think there would be a lot of interest in that because there are so many book club type experiences and again not with us but then you know we've got a you know we got our slice of the audience here I, I i i i'm definitely going to talk about fire and blood when it comes out if ever oh. if, if Reese wins i will do some kind of book club but like going back and doing all the books that would be a lot of fun for me but i don't know that it would have an audience that would justify it so like going forward is one thing especially since like, like i said you know do not unsubscribe this feed if unless you're just over game of thrones and you don't want to give the prequels a chance because we're going to be converting this into a prequels feed as soon as we're done wrapping up game of thrones um but um, the, the thing
2: is, we got so much other shit to cover, right? Like, right. we're going to be talking about Watchmen and Stranger Things mm-hmm. and His Dark Materials. And, yeah. like, we're going to get deep into the lore of these shows. And, frankly, holding this much fucking information in my head it's very hard. is a huge drain on me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then to go in and start adding, like, real deep book stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who can just read something, watch something, and remember it with picture perfect clarity mm-hmm. uh, and have instant recall on that stuff i have to like stay in a thing yeah in order to really uh so, sort of have it at hand and that's what you need for a podcast so i would have to be you know still immersed in game of thrones for the next year before the the prequels come out and man i've got like five other shows that i get immersed in so yeah i don't know yeah i just yeah the the fact that they're books is a huge problem for me mm-hmm. i i i don't actually read a lot i listen to several audiobooks a year um but like actually staring at words on a page i don't do very much mm-hmm. and i don't think our audience is the type that that reads you know th- that that comes to us for uh written material
1: yeah um yeah, so like I said, I, I this the the new stuff going forward. I'm going to do it because I'm interested, and I do think that when it's fresh, fresh, like we we did quite well in the Fire and Blood preview podcast, um, mm-hmm. as a, as a percentage of our audience that we held on to versus the you know their television coverage. So yeah, well, uh, I mean maybe I'm wrong. Maybe well, I'm no, totally no, I, wrong I think and I, I, I want to make a distinction between going back and doing the older books and covering the new stuff that everyone's interested in, and they're all you know like if I say let's, let's, let's say so we, we got got a million people listening to the podcast and I'm like okay let's all do a rewatch i like like what is 5% of the people going to be down for it right now especially the way like the other thing is also the way game of thrones ended is like who whatever audience size would have been up from that is like at least cut in half because some people like myself are kind of like i need to take a break from this like I will admit to this being like the fact that I did write these two books in off season and we also went back and rewatched two full seasons of the show to complete our coverage and we did the fire and blood like like I did the fire and blood stuff like I came in so fucking prepared to do Game of Thrones like I've never been before like yeah. I was right fucking on it and I feel like some of that has fed into my disappointment like if I had covered this more like a regular show I still think I'd have been disappointed mm-hmm. because there's some bullshit here but how disappointed would I have been if I had not invested so much of my life as a fan and as a person producing this content that, like, yeah, I'm kind of ready to sign off from Game of Thrones and check out some other things and come back. Like, Fire and Blood comes yeah, out, yeah. come back. New prequel news talk, to talk about, come mm-hmm. back. Winds of Winter, absolutely come back. But going and just arbitrarily reading the book to – try, I, yeah, like I said, I, I know people would watch it, and I know I'd get feedback. It's just –
2: yeah so so we've done coverage of shows that are no longer on the air um mm. and they consistently have dismal numbers compared to our fresh coverage uh, right. of of airing shows so now to translate that to not only you know old material but also a- diff- entirely different medium, yeah uh I just don't think it would serve many people. You may be one of them email or whose name oh no like, there cannot would remember after this. be lots ten, of
1: people that would be down mean, for discussion it. Yeah.
2: yes there there would be some people who would be down for it but it would not be the bulk of our audience and our, honestly like our concentration being on things that are fresh and exciting uh in in that type of way like the watchman mm-hmm. his dark material stuff like that yeah is, is much more yeah it's much more relevant for us yeah i mean if you want to if you want to pick up another game of thrones like the Expanse.
1: We're also not hosting book clubs of the first three books in Expanse either. So. No, I, I am reading those though. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm kind of I'm the, the jealous lore of lore guy on that one because I read the first three and like God, I want to read. It's I like you just want to keep going, man. Yeah, it's just like a game. Like there's no point in the unfinished story where it's like, yep, okay, I'm ready to check out. So no,
2: not yet. Anyway,
1: I'm, I'm jealous. Um, okay, that's all we've got for this podcast uh thanks for everybody who made it to the end uh we have not completed our game of thrones coverage after even though we said the last five minutes we kind of are because we have a wrap-up podcast and this is going to be uh maybe it'll be a bittersweet wrap-up because i would like to talk about i've been working on outline that has like you know my some of my favorite moments um You know, Game of Thrones, but but there's also going to be some bitter points, like you know, discussion about like how this season is going to impact its place in history, and and just kind of how we all feel, because I don't think we've talked about that yet. Like, how do we feel about the series a week out? Like, how do we feel about it? How do we feel about our investment and our time and how it's been spent? And you know, is this going to be like one of those shows where everybody's like, "Well, I was kind of bummed about how it finished, but the ride was worth it." I mean, I'm definitely in that camp uh there's going to be people that are just like you know what fuck the show i'm never going to watch it again kind of camp like I, I i'm i'm curious and i'm also curious to see how this show continues to evolve um and if you're curious too then maybe you can tune in next week for our wrap-up of the series itself uh and there might be one podcast there might be two depending on how much feedback we get and how much interest there is uh but we're definitely going to do the wrap-up podcast next week uh the first install the, the first one will be out on tuesday Uh, So come back for that. Send in feedback to Thrones at BaldMove.com. Again, there's always the the forums at BaldMove or forums.BaldMove.com. If you want to keep up on our off-season coverage and if Fire and Blood Volume 2 comes out or if Wins of Winter comes out, please stay subscribed to this feed because it's not going anywhere. We're just transforming it to serve those prequel and other Martin work purposes. Uh, What else am I forgetting? Follow us on social media at or slash BaldMove if you want to Uh, keep up on what we're doing like we said we're we got lots of great content this year uh with the expanse with stranger things with the Watchmen, and with his dark materials a bunch of stuff i'm probably forgetting uh because baldmove.com rolls on year long uh thank you for for being with us this far uh really appreciate all the love and support we've gotten this season not to mention all the others uh we'll be back next week and until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya